Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. And Luca, I felt like I said this last week, but that was fun. Very fun. That was that was a much more relaxed version of fun, though. That was mm-hmm. one where the confidence I had going into the game was rewarded by the game itself and what we got to experience. And as unique as it was watching that 60 minutes, that was a very, very, very enjoyable 60 minutes of Bills football that I am sure we are not alone in saying that it was a breath of fresh air in all the best ways possible. 31 to 10, the Buffalo Bills defeat the Dallas Cowboys to improve to eight and six on the season, knocking the Cowboys to a 10 and four record. And from a statistical standpoint, Luca, there's some outliers in there. There was one player that definitely stood out above the rest. But as I always do, I'm going to start this show off by asking you as that clock hit zero and Kyle Allen took the final knee, (laughs) what was going through your mind? Um, yeah, once Kyle Allen came in, uh, at the 10 minute mark left in the fourth quarter, I I guess we can even kind of the same thing was going through my head through those kneel downs. And it was, thank you bills. Like it was almost like a, thank you for rewarding myself and any other fan out there that had that self confidence in this game, in this matchup, what was going to take place where it's like the bills that we believe they can still be are officially back. That performance was a confirmation that this team truly can be the ones we believe they are. So as those kneel downs were happening, Josh, it was like the one more time I could say to my buddies in the living room and stuff. Like I told you, this is why I was as confident as I was, you know, did I expect it to break down exactly the way it did? I would be lying if I said I did, but overall it it was such a relieving feeling in the sense of, okay, these guys truly can still be that team we believe they could be at their peak, at their ceiling, however you want to say it. And it's um, what a great feeling it was as Kyle Allen took those snaps to kneel down. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about this game was there were some bad vibes coming into this game, in my opinion, because, and I don't mean anything Bills-related, more so like watching the scores of the out-of-town games-related, because, Today was a depressing day on the one o'clock slate. It started off great. The the Titans, um, the Texans, in fairness, were playing without C.J. Stroud, um, without Tank Dell, and, you know, a couple other folks that are very important, missing some linemen. Um, so you knew going in the Titans were live. The Titans got up big on them early by a couple scores, and you're thinking, man, that would really help the Bills out if the Titans could win this game. They did not. They lost the game in overtime. Um, and the Browns, another team the Bills need to lose or would like to see lose, uh, started off down a couple scores to the bears and came back and won. And it just kind of felt like, and we did, you know, and then we were kind of speculating, you know, maybe the jets with Zach Wilson with uh, going against the dolphins without Tyreek Hill, have a real shot to do something this week and really help the bills out. That was not meant to be. The dolphins took care of them pretty easily 30 to nothing. So the early games don't go our way at all. And even though the bills have done nothing, so far today, there's a there's a very easy way to have bad vibes and a bad juju about it, especially when you consider the Bengals came back against the Vikings yesterday in a game the Vikings absolutely should have won. Um, but then the game kicks off. The Bills go right down the field and score a touchdown, thanks in part to a roughing the passer penalty on Josh Allen on third down to extend the drive. And the Bills go up 7 nothing, 
come out on defense and slam the door on Dallas. And I'll tell you, Luca, like I am classic nervous Bills fan. It doesn't matter who they're playing, what's going on. I, in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, it could still go wrong. It could still go wrong. Respecting the fact that this is the Dallas Cowboys, they were 10 and three coming into this game. They are a good football team. I can honestly tell you that after the first drive for each team, my nerves were gone. I, I don't know if it's just like I've watched enough sports in my life that I could just tell the Bills have a ton of juice today and the Cowboys sure do not. It could be as simple as I saw Micah Parsons limp off the field because his own player got thrown into him. And then shortly after that, Zach Martin exits the game and doesn't come back. But just watching this game, I never got the impression that Dallas was really going to threaten the Bills on either side of the ball. And that was early in the game. And that was weird for me. Did you have a similar feel? I mean, I kind of had that feeling going into it where, um, like I, I even said when we opened up, I was pretty dang confident. And, and I've had this trend or constant throughout the season, uh, Josh. I know I've said it numerous times on this program or our live show where the Cowboys are one of two teams this year that I, I give the the F word to and not the one that's four lettered. A little, there's a couple more letters to this one. They are Fugazis. They, they, they are they're fake now. They're not full on Fugazis. They've they've proven that they could at least beat the Eagles, whether they were battered down Eagles or not. They beat them the previous week, and that's a respectable win. But in that same regard, on the road, you know, they even lost to the likes of the Cardinals by getting, you know, they got outmanned by a Cardinals team that didn't even have Kyler Murray under center. They had Josh Dobbs at the time. So there's just nothing to truly believe in when it came to the Cowboys when outside of Jerry world, we talked about it on the live show. It's like at home, they are a scary, scary, scary team on that speed turf. They got in Jerry world, but pull them out of that comfortable environment. And they're a completely different side. So going into this game, there was that confidence there that I believe the bills could actually dominate them physically because even as great as that defensive line is, and they deserve all the praise and accolades they get, it's like the one thing they do struggle with is playing a, an extremely physical game. That That's always been their thing. The reason Dallas needs to be in the lead is so that you don't need them to be overly physical themselves. They can just more focus on pinning their, pinning their ears back and getting at the passer. So with that in mind, the first drives, as you're talking about here, just showed me that, yeah, this Bills offensive line can handle that defensive line, especially on the ground game, and hopefully establish something of a physical game early on and continue with that success. And it seemed like the Cowboys were a little bit kind of, they weren't outmanned because it's not like the Bills defensive line or defensive unit is, you know, just loaded with talent right now. There's a lot of injury issues going on. But the Bills defense as a unit was able to handle even that great offensive line and take care of business, still get into the backfield when needed, so on and so forth, just completely bogged them down to the point where they couldn't find any success that after the first drives, it only amplified my feelings on this game and how confident I was. And when this, it, it's not exactly the comfort level of once you get to double digits against the Jets, you're good. But overall, even once they got the second score in, and things were even going well for the Bills when it comes to calls. Mm -hmm. It was like, that's when he really started feeling that way. I mean, even the Micah Parsons thing you mentioned, it wasn't his own player. It was Gilliam that went into his leg. But for his own player, kind of threw Gilliam mm -hmm. into his leg. So, you know, that's what you meant and stuff. That happens. He comes back in a few plays later. But, you know, things like that are happening. 
Um, they're roughing the passer, which I mean, it's it's not really in my NFL. That's not a roughing the passer to yeah. the rule. Is it an NFL? Is it roughing the passer? Maybe, but it's not realistically. But you get that call. You get the unnecessary roughness on the shot on Khalil Shakir, which is definitely more of a penalty. But therefore, you know, some individuals might not find it to be a penalty. You're getting the bounces. You're getting the calls, things that Bills fans don't really feel like they get. And then, you know, on the contrary, I don't know exactly how it feels to be a Cowboys fan. Thank God. But I feel like they probably get those calls a little bit more so than other teams and whatnot that it felt good early and just only amplified any good feeling I already had about the game that early on, Josh, I was... I was on cloud seven looking very much forward to be on cloud nine sooner rather than later. There's a natural inferiority complex when you play a team like a Dallas Cowboys, when you're the small market Buffalo Bills. We talked about on our live show on Friday. They are the New York Yankees, the L.A. Lakers of the NFL. And because it's the NFL, it's really even a larger scope because it is the most most um, popular sports league in the United States. So I do think early on, to your point, you're bracing for okay, are the calls going to go against us? Did the league be like, hey, we need Dallas to host some playoff games and maybe get to the Super Bowl, so they got to win this one? And it was direct opposite. That roughing the passer penalty was a classic flop on Josh Allen. He was, he's gotten very good at that. And, you know, if that we're Bills fans, and I would just say anybody that doesn't like it, don't hate the player, hate the game. Uh, Josh Allen is just playing the rules, how they're written. And being a superstar quarterback, they're going to give you a little bit more protection. And, you know, Dak Prescott probably gets similar protection. He's a big name quarterback. But Josh Allen has done a great job at making hits that aren't very tough look very tough. And he did so against the Ravens in a playoff game. And he's done so numerous times. And he, it benefited the Bills today. Four extra points on the scoreboard. I don't want to bury the lead, though, because I, I think I'm glad the Bills won, obviously. But to me, the story is how they won, because I think, Luca, during this Josh Allen era of Buffalo Bills football and really 2020 on when the Bills took off and became a top of the league team, I think the one fear a lot of us have had is, OK, we play in Buffalo, but much like you described the Cowboys, this really is a track meet team, the way they're built to throw the ball all over the yard. Um, we want nice weather. Let's let's pray for nice weather. Let's build a dome. Um, you know, all that stuff. And we're, it's almost like you're, you don't want to see the, the traditional Buffalo weather come across because that's not necessarily a net positive for these bills because they haven't been a traditional running team. The running game a lot of times has been basically Josh Allen scrambling. And today they won a football game, not because of Josh Allen scrambling, not because of Josh Allen throwing. Josh Allen only had 94 yards throwing, only had 24 yards rushing, by the way, they run a foot, won a football game because their offensive coordinator decided, Hey, my starting running back, James cook is getting whatever he wants behind this bills offensive line that I think the league is finally starting to take notice of. And James cook ran for 179 yards and a touchdown. Johnson added in 54 yards on nine carries and then Latavius Murray had 11 yards and a touchdown. Luca, I don't have the team stats in front of me. I'm doing very quick math right here. 230, uh, 255, basically 270-ish yards by the Buffalo Bills on the ground. Nothing we have seen them do in the past in this Josh Allen era. And you're a golfer. It's almost like 
I didn't know you had this club in your bag. And it's really nice to know it's there if we need it again. It was the first time that I think myself, yourself, a lot of us can remember where you didn't need the quarterback to win you the game. They didn't need to be in the game plan. And for the first time now, this is not a reality. Like if Josh Allen's not under center, I don't think we find the same success that we do. But in a vacuum theoretical world, you could say that there was still a chance they win this game because it wasn't the primary outlet being Josh Allen that won you the game. If Kyle Allen was under center and they still found the success that they did on the ground like they did today, they still most likely win this game. And in the 17 era, I think that might quite literally be the first time we can honestly say that. And that's a beautiful thing, especially considering that it's in a big game against a good opponent and everything like that, where the the funny part to me, Josh, about this story, about the lead is James Cook, for the first time in his career, became the workhorse every down lean on this guy in the ground game. And it reaped the benefits in a season where Sean McDermott has been under fire for numerous things, especially about potentially micromanaging the offense in this team. This team just won a game in a way that people complained that Sean McDermott seems to want to win by. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying if you wanted to put those dots together, you know, paint it out for you, this is what supposedly Sean McDermott wants to win by, and we all feel great about it afterwards when it worked successfully. Again, not saying it's the right way to do it, especially when you have 17. I'm just saying right now with what's going on, it's great. But overall, your math was pretty close. I will say technically team total 49 carries for 266 yards on the ground. Um, there are two carries for negative two yards by Kyle Allen in that mix there. So take away two carries and add two more yards if you really want. That does include Josh Allen on the ground. But Josh Allen wasn't even, as you pointed out, the first or second leading rusher on the team. He was third. He was complimentary. You know, he was third in carries. Ty Johnson has been that nice compliment to James Cook on the ground. And James Cook, both on the ground and even when called upon in the air, was absolutely the budding star that we keep seeing week in, week out, that he is absolutely going to hear his name called later in this episode, Josh. And I even wrote it down in our internal notes that I know you're probably not even looking at James. James cook was the clear star in this game and is becoming that X factor at the best time possible for this team, where it's like when it comes to playoffs, if this team gets in, we've always talked about game after game after game, you know, who can you go to outside of digs when you truly need something to go to, who can you go to? James Cook is now not only just a possibility, he seems to be that true complementary weapon that you need outside of a guy like Diggs. So you have another X factor, another guy you can lean on to do multiple things. And it's a perfect guy to have because you can do it in two different facets of the offense. And it's just an absolute chef's kiss, just peach of a thing to have for this offense as we go down this stretch. And I think my favorite thing about what I've seen from James Cook, because I think we saw last year, even the rookie year, that this guy's a really good runner. He has good vision. But the questions about him were, OK, but can he be an every down backer? Is he going to be more of kind of a, a two back backfield where he's kind of the lightning to somebody else's thunder? 
And what we've seen since Joe Brady is taking over is one more of a commitment to use James Cook as that feature back, but two utilizing that pass catching skill set that we saw at Georgia that made you and I so excited when the bills drafted him in the second round, we knew he wasn't, was a good runner, but I don't think just as a runner, James cook is necessarily like a premier running back. I think he's just, you throw him in in the bag of all the good running backs in the league. And he's just one of them. But I think what has a chance to really put him up in a much higher ceiling and really make him a special weapon is that pass game usage. And we just did not see it last year, really the first half of this year under Dorsey, and whether it's that play where he dropped the touchdown in Philadelphia, which was a beautiful play design, or the play where he runs right up the seam last week against Kansas City for a wide-open touchdown, or then today where he put the Dallas Cowboys defenders in a bag and just cooked their entire man coverage defense on the route concept to get him his touchdown. James Cook is being used in a variety of ways down the field, and he is such a moving chess piece. And when you think about what he can be. We think about what Dalton Kincaid has a chance to continue to be. And then you know who's pulling the trigger in, jo- in Josh Allen. There's some concerns about what's going on at wide receiver. We can talk about that in a bit. Gabe Davis got blanked again. But the foundation for this offense, Luca, to me is Josh Allen, um, Dalton Kincaid, and James Cook. And then obviously Stefan Diggs for the next couple of years for sure. It doesn't feel like the cupboard is bare by any means, and it feels like the Bills are starting to build like the next generation of the special weapons. Yeah, that's a great point. And even kind of to add on to that, the next generation is your James Cook, your Dalton Kincaid. And one of those two guys in Dalton Kincaid actually had a down game. There were multiple drops by him where you're just frustrated that someone who seems to be more sure-handed on this team was even kind of finding a struggle early on And I don't know for whatever reason, by design, whatever it was, that all of a sudden balls were just not being thrown his way. I don't think that was anything to do with him dropping balls, with the receiving game not being there. It's just the success on the ground was so apparent. And James Cook was just, you could not not hand him the ball. Like Mm -hmm. James Cook needed the ball every two out of three plays. And the only time you're not giving to the ball is because you're subbing him out for Ty Johnson, who also showed a good amount of burst in his own right to give James Cook a breather every once in a while. So Dalton Kincaid had a rough day and this offense was still churning out productivity and getting down the field in a very seamless way. And if you are going to build this team for the future around 17 Kincaid, James Cook, And then you still do have the likes of Diggs and maybe even bring in another weapon and have a guy like Khalil Shakir hopefully take another step next year and whatnot. It does, in a weird way, in a year where it felt like we really finally needed something else and it wasn't working out halfway through, maybe there is truly something there in the future that we're starting to see bud at the right time right now as we're making a push this season that you can then build on regardless how this season goes to the end and you actually accelerate into the year after being next or the next year following in 2025. What is that? I don't know. Yeah, 2025, so on, so forth, that you are behind a star at tight end, a dynamic running back, and then even hopefully future wide receiver weapons that are complementary to Diggs as he continues on in the back half of his career. It's a This game showed us truly a glimpse of what the next generation builds can be as you put 
perfectly. And it's a beautiful thing because if we don't need to rely on Josh Allen to be Superman every week and you can get productivity out of other guys that are X factors in their own right, the bills can even become scarier because you add a Superman Josh Allen to an already good offense with weapons and the sky's the limit. And the thing that helps with the running game, and I, I think the running game in a lot of ways in 2023 has been devalued. A lot of the advanced analytics look at it and it's like, oh, well, a good running play isn't worth nearly as much as a good passing play. You know, if a run play goes for five yards, it's considered a good play, but most pass plays go for like 10 yards. So just throw every down. What it can do for you is it can eat up the clock because every time you hand the ball off, the clock is guaranteed to be moving and ticking. And that was very evident when you start looking at some of these Bills drives, their very first drive of the game, 12 plays, 72 yards, eats up six minutes and 54 seconds of clock capped off by a Latavius Murray touchdown. Um, they had another drive in the second quarter, 11 plays, 61 yards, ate up five minutes and 37 seconds of clock. And where I thought that the Bills really shut the door on the Cowboys offensively was their first drive in the third quarter where they take over with a 21 to three lead. And this is at the 10 minute and 58 mark of the a third quarter. They burn off eight minutes and 22 seconds, 15 plays, 65 yards. They only get the field goal, but you have absolutely sucked the life out of the Cowboys with that drive. The next time they see the ball, the Cowboys take over, with two minutes and 36 seconds to go in the third quarter, and they're still down by three touchdowns, and their chances of winning this game at that point went from slim to none. If you're a baseball fan out there, John Madden used to say, having a good run game is like having a good closer. The Bills today brought in a Mariano Rivera-level closer, and I don't know that you could have given the Cowboys 10 more possessions. They may not have had a chance to come back, but what the Bills did is they made sure the Cowboys weren't going to come back. And that really is, I don't know if that gets equated into some of the devaluing of the running game, Luca, is the ancillary benefits that come along with the clock is moving, their offense isn't on the field. And I do think that should be baked into any conversation about, well, we should just throw every down. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of this. It's it's such a strange feeling to sit here and watch a Bills running game just be so efficient. Mm -hmm. it, it's even going back to the talent of the LaShawn McCoy days where he, he was still having good days on the ground, but it just didn't feel so effortless. It felt like you had to earn every inch. And then Shady himself had to then make a move or two to really make runs pop and to get those extra yards in his own self. Like shady had to be Superman in the backfield. And now you're, you're just the ground game was successful in the knockout punch and the closer in this game, because it James cook is a dynamic player in his own right. But even to kind of turn it a little bit, this offensive line was dominating the trenches. They, they absolutely killed the Dallas Cowboys in the trenches to the point where I never even was concerned about hearing a holding call. There were zero penalties on the day for the bills as a whole. And I feel like when you, when the bills in the past, especially in this era have come up against good defensive lines, regardless of if they're great against the run or not, you do sometimes feel those, you see those, you know, 
cracks in the armor where Spencer Brown may just have a little bit of an unnecessary hold or something like that may come in and it halts a drive. It, it kind of a big run may have sparked because of, of that and it gets pulled back and maybe the bills, as you're talking about, kind of abandon the run a little bit, something of that nature. They were able to control it so much. Then going back to the Dallas side, when they were getting the ball back, they were forced to kind of try to throw the ball. And if there's one thing you can't do against the Bills is just get into pass-only situations because a Sean McDermott defense, regardless at help, is going to make sure you don't get the overtop stuff. So if you're trying to get big chunk plays, it's not going to have it's not going to happen. And then essentially you're just working really, really hard for these two, three, four, five-yard plays over the middle, check downs, whatever it might be. And then even there, you're kind of putting the ball at risk by doing so because you do have to take snap, drop back, find a receiver and throw it to them all in that time. It just feeds into what they try to do as a defense that it, it's a no brainer between the success of the run game. And then what we saw Dallas kind of fall into where in meaningful time, this bill's defense held them to under hundred yards total. And it's just, that was a 60 minute clinic on exactly how not to attack the bills or how good things can be for the bills, even without Josh Allen. It's like if they can get the run game going and control the line of scrimmage on that side, and then you feel the need that you have to try to find those chunk plays in the, in the passing game, and they're not going to be there. And you're willing to just accept taking the check downs from there as the Bills sit on a lead, you will never in a million years, as you said, you could have 10 drives. I like the bills chances on still containing you underneath just figuring it out and you will never sniff the end zone. If the minutes at that point in time, even have any sort of meaning for you, because the only time the Cowboys found success at all was late when it was essentially such soft coverage and nonsense that it's like, yeah, the touchdown felt inevitable at that point, but you accepted it because personnel just kind of see the game out at that point. A touchdown means absolutely nothing. That's one where even C.D. Lamb himself scored, handed the ball away, ran to the sideline. It's a nothing touchdown. It means absolutely nothing beyond the fact that, hey, we hit double digits on the scoreboard. That's it. And it's it was just an absolute ass whooping by the Bills. And it was a beautiful sight to see to just see a Cowboys team that had so much high and hypes, hype, hype. Hypes. I don't know why I would plural that, but so much hype going into this Dak Prescott being the MVP. And then in a situation where you did need Dak to really step up and try to find stuff and be Superman himself, they just crumbled because you just can't do that on this team. To add some context to what Luca just said, the Cowboys came into this game as, as yards per game, fourth in the NFL offensively, 382 yards per game. As Luca mentioned, they did have that last impressive drive. It went 80 yards and they did cap it off with the touchdown run by CD land. But, um, you know, strategy at that point, the bills had a bunch of backups in at that point in time too. It was garbage time prior to that Dallas had 115 total yards, 115 total yards up until the eight minute mark to go in the fourth quarter when they got a garbage time touchdown, when they have an average of 381 yards per game. This was an absolute clinic by Sean McDermott and the Bills defense. I thought there was some obvious juice out there um, led by Tyrell Dodson. I think that guy bring in Terrell Bernard. I think both of those guys bring an intensity, bring an attitude to this defense. Look, is is Terrell Dod is Tyrell Dodson, Tremaine Edmonds or Matt Milano? No, 
Terrell Bernard might be. I think he's better than Tremaine Edmonds, and I love Tremaine Edmonds. Terrell Bernard is provably excellent. Um, I cannot wait to see him and Matt Milano get some run together next year. But I thought Tyrell Dodson even brings some like snot spitter attitude that you see out of Jerry Hughes, where he just he has no fear of who's in front of him, and he's going to let you know. And I think that the Bills, for as good as they've been defensively, has just had a team that's been almost like too many nice guys. And Dotson's the kind of guy that's going to rub you the wrong way as an opponent. You see offensive linemen run up to him after the play, consistently wanting to get in his face. He has an attitude. This team needs it. One thought I had this game, Luca, and tell me if I'm wrong, is the Bills have a laundry list of injuries, right? Like we know, we know the names. Uh, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones. Today, Micah Hyde, AJ Epinesa, they're out. Von Miller, shell of himself to this point in time. And, you know, it was brought up this week. Mike Tannenbaum predicted the, the Cowboys would go out there and score 40 on the Bills. Um, they, they wouldn't punt. They wouldn't even need their punter. What I have come to realize about this defense is, yes, they, they found gold at the trade deadline by spending pennies on the dollar for Rasul Douglas, who is a Pro Bowl-level corner. Um, they found gold with Terrell Bernard, who was buried on their death chart, and he turns out to be a Pro Bowl-level linebacker. Ed Oliver has ascended to be a star. But... When you lose that quantity of players, you think a defense is going to have weaknesses. And I think whether it's Linval Joseph and a mixture of him and then Jordan Phillips on passing downs at defensive tackle, um, whether it's if AJ Epinesa is out today, you know, maybe that's a bridge too far. But hey, Leonard Floyd, Greg Rousseau, two good players. You're, you're fine. Uh, Micah Hyde's out today. You still have Taylor Rapp. You have Christian Benford and Russell Douglas. You feel good there. Tyrell Dodson, kind of iffy, but hey, PFF loves them. I think the Bills have a starter-level player at every single position on defense. The one question might be Tyrell Dodson. Maybe he's a high-end backup. Uh, you know, he's he's had a good season. But the fact that they have lost so much quantity on defense, and I think they have at least a borderline starter-level player at worst at every single position, is a testament to how fantastic of a job Brandon Bean has done plugging holes with minimal assets and a laundry list of issues. Um, do you agree with my assessment that this defense, while undermanned, isn't necessarily undermanned from a talent tan, tan talent tan point, talent standpoint? <laughs> it's more so undermanned because you start thinking about like, man, just imagine if some of those guys that were gone were here. This could be the best defense we've ever seen. Um, but I still think this defense has plenty of quality. Yeah, it this conversation right here is a Brandon Bean, but it's also a little bit a Sean McDermott conversation mm -hmm. too. It's just one of those ones where Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have singled out individuals, whether it's in the open market, within their development that they've had, so on and so forth, that they've had build in this building or they brought in like a Taylor Rapp because it's an insurance where – yeah, Taylor Rapp is still a low-end, we'll call him, starter in this league where there are other teams around the league that would be more than happy to have him as their regular guy at Strong Safe wherever they need him. And the Bills have the luxury right now that they're dealing with a safety issue and they can bring him in and feel like they can completely run everything they want to do out there defensively that they didn't even have last year when they had DeMar Hamlin going on or Jaquan Johnson, especially all of those individuals. Like you couldn't do the things that now you can, when you look across the board, I think you're pretty spot on. There are starting level, starting capable players across the board. I think Tyrell Dodson, as much as his deficiencies are there, 
I, I think he could still be a low end starter somewhere else, like on the Cardinals or the Panthers or so on and so forth, depending on the scheme that you're trying to run that I think he does well, where I wanted to make sure I bring Sean McDermott into this conversation is because not only do you need to be able to isolate or locate and, and figure out what players truly you want to be your depth and insurance policies for across the board so that if you were to be in the predicament that the bills find themselves defensively, you can still succeed, but then you have to have that ability and understanding to put them in positions to succeed at best. And I think that's what Sean McDermott, whether you like him or hate him as a head coach or anything else you may have about him, the one thing he has always proven through all of his years in Buffalo and even years past is he knows how to understand a player's talents and put him in the best position to succeed, whatever it may be, whatever, whether it's as a substitute package player, whether it's an individual that just fits as a weak side linebacker and you need to leave him there. Like a Tyrell Dodson, he was trying to give that Mike position to, it was clearly not working out. Now you slide him in back at that weak side spot. Now that Terrell Bernard's here, and it seems like it just fits so much better. And even then, what you see Tyrell Dodson doing right now at, at the week is nothing like what you would see Matt Milano doing. The, they're two completely different individuals. And what Sean McDermott is understanding of is let I understand Tyrell Dodson's not going to be able to do Matt Milano-like responsibilities. So instead, I'm going to take other things that he does well. He is great at, you know understanding gaps that will present themselves on a blitz and things like that and shooting gaps and be, you know, head down, just running downfield and getting at a ball carrier or, or the passer themselves. And he has schemed up a lot of different things and looks for Tyrell Dads Dodson to succeed in those situations. So even if you want to try to say, Hey, he's not a starting level player on this defense, McDermott is doing a phenomenal job on disguising that fact and at least putting him in places where you're going to try to maximize what he can give you on return. And it's like, look, I can't ask him to fly back 15 yards and cover the entire middle of the field. I do have Terrell Bernard here who can potentially take care of that. I'm going to ask Taron Johnson to be my, you know, small linebacker himself. And then I'm going to just have Dodson essentially be this downfield blitzer, this guy who I want essentially playing the hard flats, if not rushing the passer and just let him run downfield downhill and just figure it out from there and, and it's it's he Sean McDermott deserves all the respect for that because he's proven that he knows what he's doing and this is what makes it incredible as we sit here through the Milano through the Daquan Jones through the Micah Hyde injuries the Tredavious White injuries where it's like they somehow figured out all these other talented players put them in a best position to succeed, even brought in a couple other guys like a Rasul Douglas, a Taylor Rapp in the offseason, so on and so forth, that we can be in a predicament that we are now and still feel okay about this defense. And still, I still sit here and say the Bills have a top 12 defense in the league. It, it, that's that's what they are. As long as they can succeed and do what they do best, they are a top 12 team. I'm not saying they're an elite defense, but they can get the job done. They still do it at a high enough level against an opponent where even in games where they gave up points like the Eagles for a great chunk of that game, I think it's extremely safe to say that they handled their job very, very well that I, I don't think I'm being too outlandish when I say something like that, but it's, it's impressive to understand the talent that they are and essentially what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have brought in and how they maximize the returns on all of those said individuals. I still am almost flabbergasted at how excellent perfect of a fit 
Russell Douglas has been. And you and I were both high on the trade when it happened. Uh, you know, he's a guy that we even talked about before the trade happened. Like, this is a guy that would make a lot of sense if he were available in Green Bay. And boy, they could use him right now in Green Bay. But, um, I mean, he has hit the ground running. And, you know, dating back to Arizona, like, Rasul Douglas is not just a talented player, but he is like a Sean McDermott core, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Culture player, process player, like to a T. You talk about leadership. You talk about work ethic. You talk about just putting your head down and doing the right thing and doing your 111th every play. Like that's Rasul Douglas to a T. And, you know, I'm a basketball fan and I'm an NBA fan. It reminds me so much of when the Nuggets traded for Aaron Gordon. It was like, okay. Maybe on his own in Orlando, he was just kind of like a big fish in a small pond. But this is exactly what this team needed. And I'm not going to turn this into a basketball conversation. But when you look at where the Bills were at, and when you started looking at their team and what they had lost, and what could really sink their season, they were down to Dane Jackson and Christian Benford at cornerback. And they had Josh Norman as the next boundary guy off the bench because Kyrie Elam was hurt. And then Dane Jackson immediately gets hurt right after the trade. What could have sank their battleship was cornerback, and now it is absolutely one of the strengths of their entire team. And Rasul Douglas deserves a ton of credit for switching teams midseason, coming in and hitting the ground running. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott deserve a ton of credit. And Luca, I just I I could have an hour long conversation on Rasul Douglas. I cannot remember the last time a team I rooted for had such a home run hit at the trade deadline that impacted the team that year. Cause even my Aaron Gordon example, like didn't result into a championship for another couple years, but like, Holy cow, this, this could, I mean, I don't want to say it's like Christian McCaffrey when the Niners traded for him, because that, that feels like a bridge too far, but for everything that the bills needed on defense, he has checked every single box and then some, and I just, I can't give the bills enough credit for, for the price they paid everything. What a move. Yeah. It, the Rasul Douglas move is essentially locating talent that you understand can fit seamlessly. And then on top of that, it's, it's, it's not season saving, but it's one that allows you to feel comfortable that the season can be saved. And it's, it's one where there was a clear hole understood in the defense and the, the thing you had in house in Kyer Elam and so on and so forth, that's just not panning out. And you truly just had Christian Benford and question mark. Dane Jackson, of course, being un, you know, not healthy, just exemplified it more so. And instead of just kind of sitting on their hands and just accepting that, you know, for what it is, and it's just not working out when Kyer Elam's healthy, maybe we'll just take a dart throw and see if it works out finally, or, Dane Jackson hopefully won't be out too long or whatever other cliche, whatever other thing you want to say happens. They were aggressive. They figured out an individual they liked and they brought him in understanding. It's like, this will be a guy and we don't care what the cost inevitably was going to be as long as it wasn't any, anything crazy. And it wasn't. I just don't even think they understood what they were bringing in. I don't, they looked at it as, we're bringing in a guy who was even they're hoping will be better than Dane Jackson, but at least Dane Jackson should be back in a few weeks or whatever it might be. And we're going to get by with this and see what happens. But then as soon as he stepped on the field, as soon as he probably stepped in the locker room, even it was very readily apparent that he fits the culture vibe, like you're saying. And then on the field, 
I mean, everything we saw in him in Green Bay, everything we've been seeing him with him for seasons past, it's like this guy fits this scheme, fits this team, fits that defense as a whole, where Rasul Douglas being brought in made this defense where it was as an average at best defense and brought them back to the they can still do a good job for you any given day against any given opponent. And it's crazy that a boundary corner can have that impact, but that just shows you how important one 11th piece of a defense can be in a Sean McDermott team and in a Sean McDermott defense. You, you have that massive hole that's too much for all the other pieces to kind of overcome. And you can't disguise something like that. And all credit to him, man, he has been, balling out he's been vital to this defense and he is a massive massive reason that i myself even go this team with all the injuries they've gone through on the defensive side of the ball still has that top 12 defense in this league because they can still absolutely shut you down any good given day like we just saw against this dallas cowboys team that could absolutely put up yards on anyone and they just had no idea what to do on this defense I think what you said early there was interesting in the fact that it's not like cornerback was going to sink your season, but it had the potential to, I would say it like this. I don't think the Bills' situation at cornerback was one that was going to prevent them from making the playoffs. I think the Bills' situation at cornerback with Dane Jackson and Christian Benford was one that could have prevented them from winning a championship. And as their team stands right now, knock on wood, no more injuries they have a secondary you can win a championship with. Will they? Who knows? I mean, there's bounces of the ball. There's coin tosses. There's things like that. There's ref penalties that come out of nowhere. But I look at this team talent-wise, understanding who's gone, and think there is enough talent here to win a championship. And I am stunned that I'm sitting here with as low as I felt after that Broncos game. All right, Luca, let's put a bow on this game with game balls and game checks because I want to have a very unique Josh Allen conversation that – I kind of teased on Friday, but I was like, you know what? I have a feeling maybe it'll have better context on Sunday. So we'll talk about that next. But let's do our favorite segment of the week, particularly when the Bills win. Game balls and game checks. Game ball winner for each of us is the team MVP. Game check award winner is the guy who, you know, for lack of a better term, should hand over his game check because his services were not needed today. All right, Luca, I I think the number one option is is pretty obvious. I'm going to kick it to you. I'm going to give you the chance to go ahead and uh, take the easy one. Who gets your game ball award for this victory over the Dallas Cowboys? I'm not going to take the easy one. I'll just say that. I'll let you take the easy one because I think best can be said last in this case. And I, I only am doing that too because of what was said in my living room at one point, and it definitely stuck with me. I even brought it up a little bit earlier in this episode. and. I just think they absolutely they deserve the roses enough that I will pass the easy one to you and make sure that I give my roses to an individual, give my game check to someone or a unit that absolutely deserved it. And that's the offensive line as a whole. The offensive line is not going to get the headlines. The offensive line is not going to be the story at all of this game. And they deserve all the credit in the world for what took place. I mean, it's, James Cook was finding success to the left, down the middle, to the right. Ty uh, Ty Johnson was also finding the same success. Josh Allen was able to do his thing. Also, shout out them to not only, and I'm sure this was practiced during the week, but Dallas overcompensated on a pinch for a QB sneak. 
they understood that they almost created a seal off the left that made QB sneaks off to the left, just a dream of ease. Um, it, it was just one of those things where this offensive line did everything so right and so perfectly well that the cherry on top is the zero penalties. We didn't get a Spencer Brown, you know, holding. We didn't get an Osiris Torrance holding, even with the likes of Micah Parsons right. lining up in, in front of him and, and honestly giving him some business. Mm-hmm. Micah Parsons put Osiris in a tough position a couple times there. A tough matchup. It's a, Yeah, look. I wouldn't hate Osiris Torrance if he decided just to rip Micah Parsons down and accept the holding. It's a tough, tough matchup to have. But no, no penalties. Everything was okay. And they just, they locked things down. They established that power run game through the entirety of the game. And the offensive line deserved every credit possible to them. Like I said, they're not going to get the headlines. They're not going to get kind of the story of the game situation, but they are absolutely up there and deserving a game check. So each one of them, I will give my game check to. At the conclusion of this week, there's only two offensive lines in the NFL that have started the same five guys every single game. I don't know who the second one is, but the first one is the Buffalo Bills. Um, I know that because the Bengals were a team that was on that list until they had some injuries this week. Um, so there were three, but the bills have for as many injuries as they've had, they've had a lot of continuity with the offensive line. I love that game ball award. And I feel like the, the world is finally starting to realize how good this offensive line is. Look, are they the Eagles? Are, are they the Cowboys in their heyday? I don't think so, but are they damn better than what we've had the last couple of years where they can be a weapon for this team? I think so. A lot of that is the emergence of Spencer Brown and what Deion Dawkins brings. I do think the fact that Deion Dawkins now finally has like one guard he can get used to in Connor McGovern is huge. And, you know, quite honestly, you have to give credit to Brandon Bean again, a second round pick that uh, he took in the draft. <laughs> I just saw what you saw about 30 seconds earlier. We're watching Sunday Night Football together, folks. I record this. Uh, a second round pick has held his own and played every snap for this team. And I love that pick. I will take the layup. I will take. James Cook, he was the Bills show today. Uh, Josh Allen with a funny quote after the game when asked about James Cook, he's like, and the Bills scoring nine or 31 points where he only has 91 yards passing. He said, you know what it's like to uh, not do any work on the group project but still get an A? He's like, that's what I felt like today. Uh, hilarious quote from Josh Allen who has earned those A's for the rest of the group project plenty of times in his career. He deserves a chance to take a back seat. And boy, did he today, James Cook, 25 carries, 179 yards, um, one touchdown on the ground, one touchdown through the air, another 42 yards receiving. If you had him in fantasy football, congratulations. You probably won your your round one playoff matchup. Good luck to you all out there playing fantasy football this week and beyond. Um, James Cook was the the best weapon in the air today was by far the best thing this offense had going for him, and he is turning into a very, very, very good star for the Bills. A couple shout-outs I want to give on defense. Um, Leonard Floyd got a sack today, which put him over 10, which gives him a million-dollar incentive and also is the Bills' first 10-sack or double-digit sack guy on defense since Lorenzo Alexander. It's been a long time. They rotate a lot of guys under Sean McDermott, so I guess it shouldn't be too surprising. I thought Cam Lewis played well today. He didn't have a whole lot of role on defense, but he came in, played some safety and dime when Poyer would go down to dime linebacker. I thought he played well. 
I do love, I know I said it before, I love what Tyrell Dotson brought just from an energy standpoint to this defense. He didn't necessarily pop on the field, but I think this team needs a little bit of that a-hole out there on defense, and boy, is he a willing a-hole, and I, I love it. I think he's the kind of player that just, you know, it, you hate him if your team's going against him, uh, but your team your team needs those kind of guys that just is not afraid to be the jerk, and he, he likes to be a jerk, and I love it. And then, you know, Taron Johnson. I have to go back and watch the All-22, but when CeeDee Lamb gets held to seven catches for 53 yards and has to run the ball in for a touchdown, I'm assuming Taron Johnson, the Bills' primary slot corner, had a big hand in that. All right, Luca, with the good, we got to have some bad. Not a lot of bad to take away from McDay where the Bills thrash the Dallas Cowboys and make national sports TV just must-watch for all Bills fans and Cowboy haters tomorrow. But who are you going to revoke the game check from for the Bills' thirty-one to ten victory, um, first and foremost, willing a hole. That's context matters in that statement, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> um, no, so game check. I, I kind of mentioned this individual. We had a conversation about this in, individual in positive light earlier in this episode, but I think on a day where James Cook and the ground game exploded, the only guy that really comes to mind where I was like disappointed and felt like they should have done better, could have done better, and, you know, would really like this game back, even with the couple of opportunities they had, Dalton Kincaid gets my game checked. I mean, those were two drops that hit him right in the hands. Like, mm-hmm. it's if, as a sure-handed as a guy this team has, it's not like we're talking Gabe Davis with alligator arms. We're, we're talking a guy with two soft hands that has shown he can put up eight-plus catches like it's nothing and, and just go on his business. Dalton Kincaid had a tough game. I, this might be one of those ones where he's going to be motivated going into practice. And I bet you he's very happy that the ground game was extremely successful and the game wasn't on the balance of the receiving game where he struggled himself. I, I think he will be happy about that, but ultimately have that in the back of his head where he wants to be better. And I fully expect him to be better. I, I would not expect this to be a trend that we all of a sudden see with him. But realistically, this is one that he definitely wants back. And ultimately, yeah, I, my game check award goes to Kincaid because he truly was the one guy where I look back and go, I was a little disappointed with a couple drops he had. But it is what it is. Everyone kind of has a bad day or an off day. He will bounce back. But Dalton Kincaid, you get my game check award. I thought it was cool having Greg Olson on commentary for this game because he was very sharp and quick to point out that Dalton Kincaid started the game with with weather gloves, rain gloves, and they almost need to be slicked up to have the effectiveness. And when he had those two drops, he immediately went over and switched to more of the traditional football catching gloves. I thought that was, you know, interesting insight from obviously someone in Greg Olson who understands what tight ends go through out there. All right. Well, my game check award. Look, I mean, this is piling on at this point, but Hey, another zero catch performance from Gabe Davis And Luca, four out of the last six games by the Buffalo Bills, Gabe Davis has come away with zero catches. He's done it the last two weeks against Dallas and Kansas City. He did it against the Jets. He did it against the Bengals. And honestly, a fifth of those six games, he had two catches for 28 yards against the Denver Broncos. Gabe Davis is just having a disastrous contract year. There's no other way to put it. Um, consistently inconsistent. I know his mom was on Twitter last week venting about his lack of usage in the offense because he was running wide open on a play that Josh Allen could have hit him in the end zone and Allen missed him. Uh, But I I think it's becoming clearer to me 
that this, what, however long this season goes, hopefully it goes three, four, seven more games for the Buffalo Bills. They will be the last seven games that Gabe Davis has in a Bills uniform, unless his market is so dry that the Bills can get him back for a contract that is below market value. I do not expect the Bills to go out and spend eight figures APY on this guy for this return, and I sure hope they don't because I think if you needed him to prove it to you, he's proven it to you. It's not the answer you wanted, but when you get an answer, you accept the answer. And to me, Gabe Davis has proven, Luca, he is not a starting receiver in this league. He's not. He he just isn't. He can be a very good three for you. We've seen the highs that are that, but he's not your number two. And, and, and almost to defend him in a way, it's not for you get paid to catch the ball. You get paid to be a receiver. That is what he'd get paid. His value to this team is more so as a boundary blocker than anything else. He is still a quality blocker. He was out there and part of the effectiveness in this run game today. But again, it kind of to your point, you're not paying eight figures for a boundary blocker. I'm pretty sure Justin Shorter might be able to do that job in his own right for years to come. He is also a bigger individual who could potentially be that blocker. Your Jake Kumaros of the world also can be found out there for much cheaper than eight figures. It just wouldn't make sense in both of our eyes, clearly. And I think we're not alone in this as well, where it's like Gabe Davis just isn't that guy. And it's a little bit unfortunate because Gabe Davis has been able to provide us Bills fans and the Bills in general very uh, great moments and great highs, of course, peaked by the Kansas City uh, divisional round for touchdown game. That game doesn't happen without him, of course, mainly because of Josh Allen. But still, you got to catch those and you got to be the guy. He was the guy on that day, on that night. But looking forward, as I, I think what you said is perfect. He has provided you the answer to the question on if you should pay him. It may not be the answer you like. You might not want to hear it. It's the answer regardless. And you need to listen to that and move forward accordingly on that point. Do not try to second guess it and make, you know, reward loyalty or whatever you want to call. That's just not how it works. This is a business and you can find value for that position on this depth chart elsewhere rather whether you go back to the draft for things like that or even if you want to pay that money to someone there are probably a plenty of options out there that you can get at that cost that make way more sense like your Pittman's like your T Higgins like those individuals who are probably going to cost a little bit more than your Gabe Davises but you can easily justify paying those individuals much more so than the Gabe Davis based on what we're seeing right now yeah and having Josh Allen as your quarterback absolutely increases their incentive to come here. So right. I think it, it's one of those things that kind of cuts both ways. Um, real quick, man, like fantasy football. It, it, this is why it's so hard to win a fantasy championship. Just looking at the stats in this game, if you had Dak Prescott and a CD Lamb stack all season long, you've been riding high and Dak Prescott gets you five points in a fantasy playoff matchup. And quite honestly, like I, I won't even be a hypocrite. Josh Allen only got you 17, which for Josh Allen is very low. Um, he, he's actually boosted up by the fact that he ran one in too. the Allen dig stack only got you a combined 25 points. Um, CD lamb, Dak Prescott stack got you 22, 23. So it's, it's a wild card, these fantasy football matchups. And uh, I just found that to be interesting. Speaking of Josh Allen, let's wrap this show up with a conversation that I think is going to pick up some steam. Um, despite the fact that Josh Allen didn't have his best day statistically, um, 
there was some conversation last week, Luca, that despite the fact that the Bills were the 11 seed, Josh Allen was still top five in MVP voting. I think part of that is because nobody has really stood out from the rest. Um, you know, like when you look at it, it's it's traditionally a quarterback award. Well, Mahomes is having a down year. Hurt started off great, but Hurts is kind of starting to falter off. Burrow and Herbert and Watson are gone, so they never even had a chance. Uh, Kyler Murray only played a few games. He never had a chance. Uh, Dak Prescott's kind of like the default answer because checkbox, talented quarterback, checkbox, great offense, checkbox, great record, boom. But you watch the Cowboys and, and you're like, I don't know if Dak's the reason why this team's good. I think he, he could very easily just be Kirk Cousins driving a nice car. Um, same could be said for Brock Purdy, who had a fantastic game today. Maybe he takes the lead today because it is a quarterback award, but I can't imagine who would watch the Niners on a week in week out basis and think he's the most important player on that team. Aside from the fact that they had nobody playing quarterback in the NFC title game and just having a quarterback makes him valuable. I think he's very good. Uh, but I mean, Christian McCaffrey, come on. Um, I think because of all of that and because people that make these odds also can project forward that despite the fact that the bills were 11th last week, there was a realistic path for them to win get into the playoffs. And if that happens, chances are Josh Allen would be hot. What do you think about Josh Allen re-entering the MVP conversation? Luca, is it still kind of too early? Does he need to do more? Is it more of a product of nobody else around the league is separated? Where are you at with this Josh Allen MVP conversation? He's sniffing around it. I, I don't think he's fully in the conversation right now. I think, um, how do, how do I say this? The, how this game finished how this game took place is going to almost be like the, well, they didn't need Josh Allen to win this game. Right. So therefore he's not, this wasn't the one that propelled him all the way into the MVP conversation. What I will say is the overall picture of it is he is sniffing around it. And if this bills team were to take the momentum from this game and then propel itself into a win at LA on uh, Saturday this coming week, and then also a win at home the following Sunday against the Patriots. And they find themselves in a week 18 matchup where if the Dolphins lose another game and it's for the division and everything of that nature comes because they're again, let's remind everyone for the people in the back, that Dolphins team has to play the Cowboys next week and then go to Baltimore, a team that's making the Jags look like quick work, essentially. Um, they got to they got to win both those games in order for that not to be a possibility. The Ravens, I'll be quite honest, I fully expect to beat the Dolphins. The Ravens are the most complete team in the AFC and when it comes to the regular season and getting the job done in the regular season, they will most likely do so against a Dolphins team that's already having a couple injuries really show their face, things of that nature. Week 18 comes around when we have Allen at Miami for the division. That is where Quite literally, the Bills winning that game would most likely, if everything kind of goes as it is around the league, kind of how you've painted it so wonderfully where no one else is pulling themselves away as the MVP. Josh Allen, because of how polarizing the conversation's been around him, how it's always been about the turnovers early, and then all of a sudden there's been this surge about like, well, let's look at the bigger picture here. And Josh Allen is like single-handedly the reason they have all these touchdowns, all these points, all the offensive production they have. If he were to turn around a season that seemed lost and get them that division 
and get them that win back into the playoffs at the momentum and speed that they have and no one else can separate themselves like the Hertz or the Purdy or anything like that. Not only is he in the conversation to me, I can even see it where he is co-favorite, we'll call it, with your, you know, your Purdy and something like that if the Niners just continue to take care of business. And if you're telling me the conversation goes between Brock Purdy and Josh Allen to the core element of a most valuable player award, Josh Allen is your MVP. The Bills are nowhere near where they would have been at that point in time if it wasn't for Josh Allen. Brock Purdy, I mean, there was a conversation even being had is, hey, does Shanahan actually want Sam Darnold running this offense instead? Right. So on and so forth. So it's just one of those things where, as again, you've said, no one's pulling themselves away. No one's the clear and decisive favorite. Lamar Jackson has a say in this too as well. And it's just like the bottom line is if the Bills do truly do something that we know they can do and get to week 18 and win that division, that is truly when Josh Allen, in my mind, and probably in a lot of other people's minds, wins the MVP. For right now, he's just sniffing around there. He's not he's not in the top three conversation, I don't think. Maybe he will, based on betting odds. Maybe maybe some sports books out there will already kind of see it what for what it is, you know, kind of read the tea leaves. But overall, I think he's just sniffing around. He might be top five, top seven odds. But ultimately, I can see it where by week 18, we're really starting to have this conversation in all seriousness. I agree with you. And I, I like what you said about Josh Allen against Brock Purdy because it's one of those like, come on, guys. And I'm not trying to belittle what Brock Purdy's doing. He's a, he's a very cool story. And, you know, maybe he should be the favorite for MVP right now. But if you put those two side by side and you're like, okay, who who's really more of the reason why their team is where their team is? I feel like Josh Allen is, is is going to get the better end of that matchup. So let's talk about what's next for these Buffalo Bills. It is a matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers in Los Angeles on Saturday. That game is a Peacock exclusive. And these Chargers are not going to look like the Chargers you think. Justin Herbert is out for the year. Brandon Staley has been fired. Uh, the one good thing you can say for them is um, they are on long rest after giving up 63 points to the Raiders. Um, I think this is an absolute smash spot for the Bills, followed up by a home tilt against Bailey Zappi, we assume, and the New England Patriots, who also could be dead in the water. Luca, I am not prepared to live in a fear bunker either of these next two weeks that the Bills are somehow going to gonna mess this up after coming out of their bye going head-to-head with what was a very tough stretch of games, going to Arrowhead, taking on the Cowboys, winning those. I'm not going to live in my fears that the Bills are going to get billsy on us here and drop one of these next two games. What is your fear factor for this Chargers game? Minimum. Look, the Bills, I think, are at a point now where they, they, they don't – how do I put this? They don't take a team for granted right now. They're not in a position where they feel like they can overlook anyone. They they already know that their back is against the wall in some regard, and they need to keep the foot on the gas. And I think that they're mentality monsters at this point. Um, to steal a kind of a phrase that used to be of the Liverpool FC days at their absolute peaks, winning Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues, where even at your absolute best, when you're winning every game and you're performing at your absolute high, you need to be a mentality monster. You need to understand that the next game's the most important. And you go at it just as if it was another Kansas City game. And you just need to take care of business and just get it done with. And I do believe this Bills team, and I think through all the things that have been going on on this season alone for this team, they are in that mindset where it's like, 
we're going to take care of business on Saturday in front of everyone against the Chargers. Look, the Eastern Synergy over there is not going to do anything against this dang team. The Bills are going to absolutely break that twig across the other side and just take care of business. And I fully expect that to happen on Saturday. Fast forward to the week after, we'll have more conversation about that. I won't be on Bill's Chat Live. I'll be uh, dealing with some family holiday stuff. I'll be watching that Bills game myself while sitting in Madison. I'll be somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you want to give away your location? I don't want to give away my location. Um, I'll be somewhere watching that game. And I, I don't I don't think they listen to this. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Woo! I'm not cutting that out. So whatever. Anyways, so Ooh. yeah. <laughs> so I'll be watching that and enjoying that game, hopefully laid back, and then fast forwarding to the Patriots home finale, we'll call it. How in the world could they overlook that game? You that team is one of the reasons that you find yourself in the predicament that you are. Like regardless of their record. And honestly, you can even look at their tape and be like, they have better quarterback played now than they did at the time that you lost to them. So it's like, you can't take them for granted. You can't take that week for granted and you need to make things happen. So ultimately I expect this bills team to take care of business and be business. Like the next two weeks where at least on their side of things going into week 18, they should be in a good spot and understand what's in front of them at that point in time when they're playing Miami and, and South Beach. Feels like the Bills can come up for air a little bit these next two weeks, and we can too. You know, we we have the Christmas holiday, whatever, you know, happy holidays to everybody out there, whatever you celebrate. We hope that you are having a wonderful holiday season, hopefully getting to spend some time with some loved ones. And uh, Luca and I will not be back together on Friday. I will be here. I've reached out to Stokes. Uh, he thinks he's good. We shall see. Uh, but, you know, this is a tricky time of year, guys. You never know what's coming up family-wise. But there will be a Bills Chat Live on Friday. And, you know, th those Fridays before Christmas tend not to be our highest listened to episodes, as we understand you guys are also doing your own thing. But we appreciate the hell out of anybody. And this needs to be said more often than not. But, you know, given the holiday spirit, we appreciate the hell out of anybody that takes time to listen to our show. We, we can't thank you enough for choosing to spend your time with us. You know, we're just two friends that want to talk about the bills and hopefully provide some insight that maybe you hadn't thought of and really just give you that feel of two guys who just watched the game together. And now we want to go have a seat up at the bar table and talk about what we just saw and what's coming next. Uh, Luca, any final thoughts on the bills, on the Cowboys, on anything that happened today? If you want to let us know how Lucas locks is doing anything like that. <laughs> Lucas Locks, technically undefeated on the week, 2-0-1. Had our first push of the season, so there will no longer be that third zero in the record that is this year to date. Um, that was good. Bears really choked that one away. I know the Cowboys are Fugazis, and they showed us they are Fugazis. But you, myself, everyone, we need them to not be those Fugazis next week. We need them to show in the Fugazi Bowl that they are less of a Fugazi uh, than those Miami Dolphins that, boy, would a loss just absolutely be a wonderful thing to have in our pocket as we go into week 17 and it's like, hey, bottom line is take care of your game and you're staring down a very, very fun time week 18. That's mm -hmm. all you want it to be. You don't even want to have to worry about that game in Baltimore. It's like it's already in the bag. It's already in your pocket. You can now just handle your business however it is and that would be incredible. So, <sighs> Cowboys, 
please turn it around. <laughs> we need you to turn things around and kind of let this be a one of thing and take care of business next week in Miami. And then Bills, yeah, one last time. They they got through this stretch and rewarded all of us for our faith. Come up for air, take care of business, and let's have fun going into week 18. It's a fun time of year, and the Bills are very, very much alive. And it didn't look like that was going to be the case. You had told me we'd be sitting here after that Bronco game. I would have called you a liar. But here we are, and the fun is just beginning. And as Luca and I were saying off the air, this team gets into the playoffs, man. Nobody's going to want to see the Bills come to their building or have to go to Buffalo if they win the AFC East, which is also very, very, very much alive. All right. We'll be back next week in some shape or form. I will be here on Friday. Luca and I'll be back on Monday morning, breaking down the Bills Chargers Peacock matchup. And we will, well, Luca, are we dropping a podcast on Christmas morning? Should we hash this out now? Does that make sense? Yeah, we can hash this out now. We're not dropping out a podcast on Christmas. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> we will be back uh, sometime. <laughs> we will be back. I mean, honestly, I don't think we need a podcast on Christmas. Uh, we could do a fun little video, maybe the 26th, drop it that night, something like that, just for the peeps. A nice quick one. Hey, how did the NFL slate go? How did the Bills game go? Things like that. If we need, we may or may not have an episode, but it definitely will not be coming out on Christmas morning. You know what? I We know you have plans that night. The Bills are playing the Chargers. Uh, the next two nights are Christmas Eve and Christmas. I will commit right now on the air as we hash this out. I will do a quick post game YouTube exclusive on Bill's chat, Bill's chat, YouTube, check it out. Um, try to go like 20, 30 minutes, talk about that. And then between Luca and I, maybe one of us will just throw it up there as the audio version of Bill's chat for, yeah, uh, for next go. week. There we there go. go. And maybe I'll reach out to Stokes and see if he's free for that as well. But otherwise like, yeah, I, we're not recording on Christmas <laughs> Eve night. I, I have two kids. I have a wife. Like I, I, I enjoy my marriage. I don't want to, uh, yeah, especially like if if the Bills lose to the Chargers, I will go on one of those epic YouTube rants, but we will have something for you next week. It's just going to be a little bit different. But hey, happy holidays to all of you. The Bills won. Enjoy it. Enjoy national sports talk tomorrow because it's going to be all about this, probably from a Cowboys perspective. But hey, it is what it is. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty, and we will see you next time on Bills. Bills.